when you parent, whether you are one now or you are planning to be, or that is a far distant memory for you, or it may be coming up soon, when you parent, there will come a phase, a point in your life where you have to sign your child up for sports. And when you sign your kid up for sports, whether it is a recreational league or an upward league, which is sort of a recreational league and sort of a devotion, when you sign your kids up for these things, you are given information in every way that they can possibly give you information. I don't know how we manage to lose the amount of information that they give us. But they give you so much stuff to read. So that you can know what you're supposed to do when you show up at the recreation center for swim team or water polo or basketball or volleyball. Or when you show up at the fields at First Baptist for football or cheerleading or basketball. When you show up, you've been given information, you've been given a schedule, and they have provided certain things for you. They tell you what they will provide. They tell you what, that what you will need when you play upward, for instance, they provide the jersey. For $79.99, you can buy shorts that sort of kind of match the jersey. When you sign up for basketball, they provide sneakers. And, or, or rather, you provide sneakers, and, and they will provide other things for you. If you play in my senior adult recreational basketball league, I have somehow commandeered a key to the gym at another church, and you have to supply your own sneakers and knee braces and preventative Advil that you take before you ever play. You have things that they provide and things that you provide. But if you play college sports, it's different. Especially if you're playing top-tier college sports, like the University of Tennessee. And no one else. They provide everything. They provide your helmet. They provide your cleat. They provide your gloves. They provide sneakers. They provide shorts. They provide socks. Everything. They provide every single thing. They provide the stuff. You just have to put it on. When we get to Ephesians chapter 6, we are in chapter, in chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, we are seeing what is provided for us and what we are to put on as believers. What God has given to you and what you are to do with God, what God has given to you. So if you're a believer in this room, the words that this text says to you should make sense for you in light of you living in a way that brings honor and glory to the person of Jesus. And if you're not a believer in this room, thanks for being here. Welcome. This may or may not make sense to you. But what we hope and what we pray is that these words of this text will invite you into a right relationship with the person of Jesus. Based on what Scripture says. So what we're looking at today, if you're a big idea and you need a big idea for this passage, we are not passively prepared to follow Jesus. Those things are contradictory to one another. To be passive and to prepare. You, you don't just enter into this state of being. The Scriptures actually teach to us that we are people who can follow Jesus and align our lives and hearts with Him through what He has provided for us, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And He tells us, so put these things on. So just hear from the text as I read it out loud. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, 3 verse 24. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His, fast strength, by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers and the authorities. Against the cosmic powers of this darkness. Against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. So that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, who has a very difficult name to pronounce, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not passing prepared to follow Jesus. So you see these three things that, you, that are working through the text. One is that we would gear up. Two is that we would stand strong. Three is that we would pray on. Gear up, stand strong, pray on. When I was working through the title of this sermon, I, I wrestled with a few things. I want, we landed on his victory. I kind of wanted to go with battle drip, but Scott would not let me. So I had to go a different direction altogether. When we look at the text, it's letting us know these things. And it's not as if these things are working systematically through this passage. You actually see them woven into the tapestry of the text that Paul has provided for us. The idea of what we put on, the idea of us standing strong, and the idea of us, of us praying through or praying on. We look at this text and we see what God has said to us as His people when He says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. As Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, letting them know what it's going to look like to live in a world that is kind of sort of contrary to the ways of God. And by kind of sort of, I mean definitely. He lets them know to stand there in strength. But they're not standing there in each of their own strength. Ephesians 1.19 lets us know that our strength is not ours. That God himself provides incomparable strength. Be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. You hold on to what he has done and the strength that he has provided for you to live in light of a dark world. To live in contrast to the enemies and the principalities and the things that are against Him and His good will for us as a people. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Martin Luther is well known to say, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, fear for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our strength is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of, the, of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So often, the heart of someone who lives in any cultural climate, and for me, this is the only cultural climate that I've ever lived in, when you are living in the midst of this, we want to find and identify who our enemies are so that we can undo them. And we almost would lean into the notion that those who are opposed to us are doing this of their own will. That the battle that they are waging is against whatever it is that we believe, holding tr to the truth that is Jesus, that that is something that is a war that they have commandeered, they have made up and conjured up on their own. When we begin to look at what it means for a believer who follows after Jesus to live in a world that does not follow after Jesus, Paul seems to be very clear to us that what is taking place that is in opposition to the hope of Jesus was not something created by the people who we have chosen to be enemies. Our hope as followers of Jesus would be that we would identify the real enemy, that is Satan and that is the forces that, that are against us, that we would not find human beings to be those who wage war against us. One commentator says the gospel message often not only, often offends not only the sensibilities of Jews and Gentiles, but it also challenges the powers, the rulers, the authorities, and the heavenlies. Therefore, God provides full armor for the battle. When we look at the notion of us considering and waging war against these cosmic powers, these forces of ambiguous evil that have chosen to make themselves known, it's really easy if I can identify those. Thanos, Voldemort, Kang, Tom Brady, the guy who keeps changing the iPhone charger. These are very obvious enemies for us. Nick Saban. Georgia. However, it's more than that. It's more than the silliness that I can think through here. The message of Jesus is going to be one that is completely contrary to us living in this world and being satisfied with it. When you look at this text and it, it explains to us these words of Paul about what our struggles are, he uses the phrase or the word schemes. When we look at Jesus, he does not seem to be scheming to get us to do anything. When we look at this text and it lets us know of the evil mechanisms of the evil one, he is always attempting to connive and to mislead. Jesus doesn't trick us in anything. He, in John's gospel, every time he tells us one of these I am statements that we're so familiar with, because every preacher has preached the I Am statements as a series, more than likely a summer series. He quickly tells us that it is just a window into understanding Him. When Jesus says that He is the bread of life, He is saying to a people where a primary staple of their diet is bread, actually, I'm the one who sustains. 
When he says to a people that I am the light of the world as he has healed a blind man, he is saying, real light is not what I give, it's who I am. When he says that he is the gate to a a group of shepherds, and he also says to them that he is the good shepherd, he is saying that I am the door by which you access God, and I am also the one who protects you when you are in God. When he says that he is the resurrection... He's saying that at a funeral to a woman who has just lost her brother, to which she replies, I know that on one day the resurrection will be provided for us, but Jesus is really saying to her, I don't just give resurrection, that's actually for me, that's who I am. When we look at who Jesus is in the text, he says that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He says that to a group of people who are wayless, who are living in the void of not having truth, and who are lifeless apart from him. When he says that he is the vine and that you are the branches, and that apart from him you can do nothing, Jesus is saying for you to live the life that God would have you to live, you have to realize that the source for that comes from me. These aren't. Schemes and conniving plots. These are the words of Jesus to a people. They are all understandable to us and even more vivid to his initial audience because that was the world they lived in. Not a lot of shepherds in this room. With Satan, everything is impersonal. It's plotting. It's misleading. It's evil disguised as good. It is the continuation of what Jared shared with us last week because I listen to the sermons when I don't preach them. It's a continuation where, where Jared references Genesis and, and says that Satan asked this question of Eve, did God really say? The devil schemes, Jesus saves. These enemies cannot be defeated by normal resources. They are, they are defeated by things that God has done on our behalf. Verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God. So that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Satan, when he attacks us, he does not just attack the individual believer, though he does. He attacks the church. He attacks the corporate church. And he attacks the unity of it. So whenever we're having conversations about what it means for us to be the church, the reason that you will hear me say continually, repeatedly in this room that the central unifying truth for us as believers in Jesus is a crucified and resurrected Messiah. The reason that we say that is because it's so often when we look at what the church is we spiral into different directions because of different things that may be important. But they're not central to us. The central truth for a believing people is that Jesus has died Jesus has resurrected and Jesus will come again. This is what unifies us. He attacks the unity of the church. And the armor that's provided in this passage is giving us, it's really pointing in the direction of these truths that are there. You see them, the armor provided, the truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, and the declared word of God. They serve to protect, yes, you the individual, but they also serve to protect the church as a whole. The idea of truth and righteousness and gospel and faith and salvation and God's word. They protect what the church is and what God would have the church to be. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Tony Evans, pastor of a church in Dallas, says this. Biblical faith is acting like God is telling the truth. 
Biblical faith is acting like God is telling the truth. So for us to come around the Bible, and if you, when you showed it, the Bible's, it's literally written on the building. We believe that God tells the truth. And truth is not true because it works. It works because it's true. The Scriptures will work in your life. They will work in your life for your sake, but also for the sake of the other believers who are around you. So if you're here regularly and you're not united with other believers outside of what takes place here, look, so being part of the church is about more than me giving you a row to sit in. Rows are awesome. But being able to sit face to face with other believers and work through what it means to pray for other believers and realize when you've wronged another believer, that is part of what it means to align our hearts with the truth of Scripture. We have peace with, with, when you look at the text, it talks about the gospel of peace. That is not simply vertical. We love to think about the vertical nature of our relationship with God. We come into this room, we sing songs to God. God is incredible. God is amazing. We love you, God. And Jared hits that falsetto. I'm like, man, I can't do the falsetto, but I'll kind of do something on, in the background with my own little ditty. But it's also horizontal. That what takes place in our spaces, whether it's in this large room or in your life group or your D group or your Wednesday Bible study, that's the truth of God in our, involving and invading our horizontal interactions with one another. And if all that takes place in those is you listening as, an, as another person talks, that's an information dump. And the last thing the church needs is another person to dump information on top of you. It's life on life. It's interacting with one another for the sake of good news principles. In every situation, it says in verse 16, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith. What is faith? Well, if we're going to understand faith as New Testament believers, we cannot understand it apart from the church. Apart from God unifying the church throughout the history of, ta- of space and time as we travel on the TARDIS. And we notice in Hebrews chapter 11, it runs us through the story of faith. The story of God unifying the church through faith. Hebrews 11 lets us know that when you get to the story of what takes place through the unifying work of God in faith. 11 verse 1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, but for the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. And then it goes on. By faith Abel. By faith Enoch. uh, By faith Noah. By faith Abraham. By faith uh, Moses you get to in verse 23. And when you look at the story you see the uniting work of God to bring together people of faith throughout the history of history. We know that we are part of this thing called the church and that God has unified us by faith, not only to Him, but with one another. 
We are brought together by God. When we read through this text, sometimes we can wrestle with, what does any of this have to do with me? This has everything to do with you because you don't get to exist in and of your own self as a follower of Jesus. You're brought together with something bigger. The entirety of the book of Ephesians is about the unity of the church. To preach it and disregard unity is to disregard the actual point of the text. We're together, people. Unified by what God has done for us in Jesus. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. These seem to be Old Testament references. They seem to be because they are. Isaiah Isaiah verse 11, uh, it tells us this. He will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. That's who Jesus is, righteous and just. You and I as believers, we are invited to put that on. It says this, He made words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of His hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in His quiver. That's who Jesus is. You are to put that on. How beautiful are the mountains, are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation. That's who Jesus is. We are invited to put that on. Isaiah 59 gives us a picture of this messianic warrior who is Jesus. That's who Jesus is. He invites you to put that on. When we read through the New Testament and it talks about you putting on Christ, this armor is very much aligned and associated with that, if not that in and of itself. This is who Jesus is. You put that on. Even when we get to the book of Revelation, we see Jesus covered in blood. There's a whole theological disagreement. Is this His blood or the blood of His defeated enemies? And I just want you to hear that. That can be a dividing thing. The shed blood of Jesus is the defeat of His enemies. This is who Jesus is. Pray at all times in the Spirit, it says in verse 18. With every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. We as a believing people are reminded to pray about everything. Pray. Prayer is so hard. I don't know an element of the Christian faith more difficult than prayer. I do know that if I come to church and sing songs, there is something concrete there to take hold of. Even if I don't like the songs. I love them, Jerry. I love these songs so much. I know that part of the Christian faith is us gathered together around the Scriptures. Concrete. I get to see it. When we talk about prayer... Let's be transparent. How many of you have ever said words to God and you wondered if they were even heard? How many of you have ever lied in church? (laughs) This passage talks to us about the value and the importance of prayer. We're reminded to pray about everything. What's the last thing that you did not pray about? You should have prayed about that. Serious matters? God, I need you to act. We've been there. Sick family member, God, I just... I need you to be God. I need to hear from you. 
Why would we pray about not serious stuff? What if God reminds us to pray about everything so that we can hear how silly some of the things that we say sound? Paul talks to us about praying here. Consistently, persistently, one of the echo texts of Ephesians is it references supplication. That's the idea of begging God. Begging God. Asking God and, and, and just, Lord, I, I need to trust you. And whatever answer you give, I'm going to trust that. But I'm not going to leave you alone. It's so much easier just to pray over meals. Prayer is such a huge aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. Because it's consistent communion with him. These things that we see in this passage are taking us to the idea that our hope is outside of us. And that everything that he has provided for us inside this world is a gift that he has given that we still need to trust him in order to use properly. Holding on to Jesus. I love what Paul does in verse 19 because it's a struggle for most leaders and most pastors and really most all of us. You have this person, Paul, who's written such a large chunk of the New Testament, more than likely two-thirds. And he says to a believer, says to these believers at Ephesus, after he has walked them through what it means for them to stand firm in the faith, to be prepared with righteousness, faith, hope, truth, all of these very important scriptural words, this huge pillar of what it means to belong to the church, that's Paul, converted Paul. Paul who murdered Christians, who doesn't murder Christians anymore. Paul. Paul who may be murdered because he is aligning himself with Jesus. Paul. He says in verse 19, Pray for me. Pray for me. Not because he's uncomfortable. I'm assuming he's uncomfortable. Prisons aren't known for their comfort. Pray for me that the message may be given that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Pray, pray that I would do that. And regardless of where you are, this should be a prayer of ours. When we go to work as believers in Jesus, yes, we should pray that God would do the things that we would have God, that we would need God to do. And we should be asking for other believers. Just pray that I will be a vocal witness as to how good Jesus really is. And for those of us, and we, all this conversation that we have right now, if you have chosen to homeschool your kids or private school your kids or public school your kids, pray that we would declare the riches of Jesus to the world that we, He happens to be putting us in right now. Pray for me. Pray for me. For moms and dads who are in whatever those situations that you're in, just pray for me. Pray that hope is alive and that hope has a name and His name is Jesus. Just pray for me. Pray that I would make much of Jesus in a world that makes so, so little of Him. Paul asked the church at Ephesus to pray for him. Every Sunday at the end of our services, I kind of stand at the back of the room and 
And I'll say, if, I can, if you're not a believer, I'd love to share with you what it means to be a believer in Jesus. That whole death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We believe in that. We believe, believe, believe in that. But if you're a believer in this room, I just want you to hear this. I, I can pray for you too. I can pray for you. I might need you to pray for me. Because I'm terrible at being a Christian sometimes. All of us struggle with this. So it's really important for us to ask, God, could you you pray to God on my behalf? 21, Tychicus, that name that is hard to pronounce. He just kind of shows up. Our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, he'll tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. He's a point of view character for us normals. I'm not Paul. You're not either. But he is showing us that you don't have to be Paul for God to use you. 23. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all of you who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is the end of the book of Ephesians. Next week, we'll have another sermon in the book of Ephesians. We consider it a bonus episode or maybe a mid-credits cut scene. But as he wraps up the actual text that we're in, what he's pointing out to believers is this. God has united a believing people And our love for Jesus and those who love Jesus, we will see, we will together see into eternity. We will see death die. We will see that we are unified around life and that life is Jesus. And in this world, we love Jesus with an undying love because of his dying love for us. We are brought together by God's unifying love. We are brought together by God's immense table. We are brought together to savor and celebrate the life of Jesus that that is provided through the life Jesus has given us that was provided through His death. Here's the thing. We we live in a very ad-centric world. I'm not sure if... And it's always been. If you're a radio listener, I'll pray for you right now. How do people do that? But every 30 seconds, there's an ad. If you're watching television, there's two, there are two minutes of commercials. If you're on social media and you're scrolling, it's just there. There is an ad. Everything is telling us you buy this. When we bring our services to a culmination every week or regularly, when we as believers come around the table like we're about to come around. The table of Jesus and the victory that comes with it is not saying you buy this. It's saying to each and every believing person in the room, you belong here. You matter here. You have value here. Not because of what you've done, but because of who has done everything. Not because of what you buy, but because of who has bought you. 
We are given our value through the crucified, resurrected Savior. So we come together around the table as a, as a believing family consistently here at Grace because we want you to know that you matter and you belong. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, don't drink the grape juice. Don't eat of the wafer. Because it's not, it doesn't mean anything to you. But for believers in this room, what we are saying is that we have been unified through the sacrificial death of Jesus, through the shed blood of Jesus. And we have a family even if our family has failed us and let us down, this family should not because it is, it is brought together by who Jesus is. So let's do this this morning. I, I invite you to bow your heads and the band's going to get in place. Two things. Uh, one is if you would like to be prayed for, I've got some elders in the room who are not playing instruments and I'm just going to ask them to come and be near the tables. I would like for my elders to be up at front near the tables. Everyone's going to come and take communion if you're a believer in this room. If you're, if you're a believer here and you're not a member of Grace Bible, you don't have to take... I mean, you, you get to take communion. We invite you to do that. If you're not a believer, don't take communion because it doesn't mean anything for you. This is the thing that matters for us. But if you are a believer, unified through the death and resurrection of Jesus with other believers, but you come and you're, you've got heavy things on you and we can pray for you, my elders will be at these front two tables. Just grab. They, they will pray for you. They will pray for you. Let's see. Father, we thank you for this morning to come together around your word. We thank you for the story that Kesley told earlier. We thank you that she got to tell your story. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a family here at Grace and a family that is beyond this space. That there are believers, brothers and sisters in Christ who are worshiping you right now all over the world. We thank you that by faith we've been brought to Jesus. So if there are those in this room who've never placed their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. But Father, for those who are believers and they're struggling because they've just, they didn't know that they should tell somebody to pray for them. Can we let this be a time where that happens? We ask this in Jesus' name. You guys feel free to take of the cup and return to your seats. Grab the cup and return to your seat. I'll be at the back if you need me.